once again, good morning, everybody. So uh, we just want to say thanks to the, to the Mueller plaid experience leading worship this morning. So great. And I, I'm so, I, I, I don't know about you, but man, I just loved seeing Penny and Ellie up here worshiping as well. But at the same time, totally frustrated because you have ruined every plan to keep every kid off stage forever. So thanks for that. Um, but no, that was, that was just that was just awesome. Um, next week, maybe we'll have Dottie up, and she'll just, she'll just, we'll just keep her in her thing, and, and she'll just be cute, and, and we'll just do that. But this morning, we are, um, we're wrapping up our series, Make War, and I, and I hope, and my prayer for, for you, as well as my prayer for me, throughout the course of this series, is that this would have been maybe an eye-opening ex- experience for us, walking into the new year, not simply in a a passive, maybe defensive stance to the things that God has for us, but that he, that we would learn to position ourselves offensively to experience uh, whatever God has for us. Now, when we talked about experiencing the life that God has created us to live, again, the regrettably oftentimes we think of, of those sort of things being simply a, 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 a struggle-less, uh, issue-less life and existence, and, and, and I think about those things of of, of like I think of Job and I think about the experience that God brought him to and through it was it was a horrible experience uh, Job experiencing the type of loss that many of us will never experience in our lives but then seeing God once again be faithful through the process again if I was to look at Job's life not coming from the Bible I'd be like man that, that guy's life sucks and where did God go in the midst of that? But then realizing because of the truth of Scripture that God is orchestrating, not simply the, the, the feel-good experiences, but orchestrating our pain with a purpose to exp- so, we can, so we can lean into the things that God has for us, whether they be insurmountable blessing and, and phenomenal uh, joyous experiences or the pain that comes along with life. We can lean in in an offensive position knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for it. And so no matter what comes, hopefully my prayer for all of us is that we have learned to make war on the things that keep us from experiencing the life that God has created us to live. And so, um, so if this is your first time with us, I just want to recap real fast. Week one, we looked at the idea of making war on sin, on the sin in our life. Scripture says the sin that so easily entangles us. And if you're anything like me, man, I have got those things in my life that are so quick to entangle me. I'm so quick to give into or surrender to and not even realizing that I'm doing it, but just because it's that habit that I have. But understanding that, man, we need to make war on the sin in our lives to break the bonds because Christ, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, has broken the power of sin. And so we need to lean in with the power that Christ gives us and make war on the sin that exists in our lives. Week two, we looked at the topic of of getting past your past. Man, the idea that God could use the worst of what you've done for the greatest of his glory, I mean, nothing else compares to that. When God can use the worst part of your story, and you can see a life change, not because of what you've gone through, but when, we, when you put your past in the hands of God, man, he can make anything happen. So we looked at the idea of getting past your past and trusting God with your past, not being selfish with the things that you would like to keep hidden, but using those as a, as a catalyst for God's glory and for his good in other people's lives. Last week, we looked at the power in, in the weapon of confession, 
And I don't know about you, but man, there's been a lot of confessing going on in my week as I'm realizing all the things that in my life that fall short of God's perfect plan. So much confessing. So much confessing. Um, hopefully that message encouraged you. I pray that it did. But this morning, we're gonna, as we wrap up the series, we're going to be looking at having the mindset of a soldier. Having, If you're taking notes, that's going to be the, um, the title of the message, having the mindset of of a soldier. And, and one of my favorite movies, um, I'm, a, I'm a movie guy. Movies are my love language. Movies and, and, and pizza are my love language. <laughs> um, it's funny that you think I'm joking, but we actually had to create a separate category in the love languages test because mine were nothing. It was just pizza and movies. And um, so maybe the test will change. So and maybe if we do your pre-marriage, th there'll be new categories. You're welcome. Um, but one of my favorite movies is the 1962 classic World War movie, The Longest Day. And the reason they call the movie The Longest Day is because the movie is two minutes short of three hours long. And, and so it's a long movie. But the whole premise of this movie is it's, it's the first look when it comes to World War II and looking at both sides, both the Allies and the Germans, leading up to the D-Day invasion. Uh, the thing that I love about this movie is that it gives you a glimpse into all the components and all the pieces, and, and it's just a phenomenal movie. But again, it is long, so buckle up. If you choose to watch it, it's on Netflix. You can watch it for free. Phenomenal. John Wayne, Sean Connery. I mean, it's just a great movie. Um, but one of the scenes that I love, one of my favorite scenes, uh, is where there is a German commander standing over this ridiculously large map that takes up most of a wall. And there's this German commander, and what he's doing is, is he's looking at this map very intensely, and, and there's these pieces on the map that are moving, because what he's doing is he, is he is trying to get into the mind of the Allied Forces commanders, and he, what he's trying to do is he's trying to guesstimate, based on military logic, what the logical move would be when it comes to where and when the Allies are going to attack. See, the logical thing about, uh, the logical decision when it came to the Allied attack is that they would attack when the, when the sun was out, when there were no clouds in the sky, and there were very specific spots. Well, what the Americans, the, ally, uh, the Allied troops did is they actually came in when it was raining, it was cloudy, on a beach that they didn't expect. And so even in the midst of all this preparation, there's moments where this, this German commander surprised because Normandy was not expected to be a landing site for the D-Day invasion. And so this, this German commander, he's, he's trying to figure out the, the Allied forces' next move, and, and he's thinking about different strategies to create the best offensive strategy because, man, they were, there were people coming onto the beach. So what's the best defensive strategy to create the best offensive strategy? And it kind of clicked as I was thinking about this, this, this series and this message. And, and there's no, if I love a message where I can rewatch a movie. And so part of my assignment last night was to rewatch The Longest Day, which to the chagrin of my wife, but to the blessing of me, I rewatched this movie. And I, and I came to this conclusion as I was thinking about this message. And when you're in war, it's not just knowing about your strategy. But what's almost more important than knowing your strategy is knowing your enemy's strategy. And so I want to put this, this, this phrase up on the screen. And it says, if you want to know how to fight your enemy, you have to know how your enemy fights. If you want to know how to fight your enemy, you have to know how your enemy fights. And over the course of this series, again, we've looked at sin, our past, confession, 
But we've kind of left this idea of our enemy alone. And the truth is that you and I have a real and very true enemy. He's the enemy of our souls, and we often refer to him as the devil. His name is Satan. His name was Lucifer, and, 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 and he is the enemy of our souls. And, and, our, and, and Satan's main soul desire in his existence and his life is to see you and me destroyed. And so we have a real—and now here's the deal. It's not like cartoony sort of pitchfork, red spandex type Satan that we can kind of laugh away. But when you think about a true enemy who's not simply looking to overtake you, but to destroy you, it changes the picture and the way that we see who the devil is. Um, I, I, uh, what, I love what First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says. It's such a phenomenal description. It says this. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Have you ever seen, like, a National Geographic or, uh, or, or some sort of, what, uh, Animal Planet sort of, sort of special as far as when a lion kind of attacks its prey? Have you ever seen any of these videos? Man, I was, like, so into YouTube uh, yesterday when I was looking at these videos. And what was so incredible is that when a lion is searching out its prey, what the lion does is that he is—the the lions are, are, are technically known to simply just make themselves aware to whatever prey— is in the vicinity, like they roar, they stand up on two feet, they wave their paws, and they're basically saying, hey gazelles, we're here, we're the lions, and we're going to kill you. You guys didn't see that one? No, just the opposite, right? There's mo I mean, these lions, they get so low to the ground. And at certain points and certain seasons in the African Sahara, they can almost blend in. They can become a part of the scenery to the point that, that like, uh, um, people who are filming and taking pictures, they lose sight of the lions because they blend so perfectly into their surroundings and their circumstances, and then they just sit there. And they just exist with the scenery. And then, when it's too late, they reveal themselves and they pounce on their prey. They chase after that, that, that gazelle, that wildebeest, that elephant at times, that zebra. They chase after it with a ferocity that is, that, is, that is unmatched, except maybe by Dave Ramsey trying to get out of debt. And if you haven't taken financial peace yet, man, you could take it for that video, and it had been worth it. And so, uh, so if you're interested in taking financial peace— we are looking at dates in the not-too-distant future to take financial peace. And if you have, if, if, even if you take it, take it again, because that video is awesome. Watching Dave Ramsey run across stage, like, it's just, it's just like the best part, but then you learn some stuff about finances too. Um, but when it comes to a lion prowling, the, the intention is to make themselves completely unrecognizable until it's too late, with the intention to do what? What does the verse say? The, for the intention to devour. Like, when you think of the word devour for a second this morning, what do you think of? What, what comes to mind? When I looked up the word devour, devour means to consume destructively. Like, pizza, I devour that because I consume it, and I don't just consume it, but I consume it destructively. 
I mean, when we think about this, this is what we have to get in our minds when we think about this verse in 1 Peter where it says, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not simply looking, once again, like I said, to overtake you, but to consume you destructively. There's no polite way, there's no gentle way to devour. When something is devoured, it's a spectacle. It is a sight to be seen. And all the lion has to do is keep its prey distracted long enough until it's too late. See, the amazing thing about this description of Satan is because it goes the same way with him. See, Satan, he's not going to make you aware of where he is. He's not going to stand up on, on, on both his legs, stand up on a table and wave and be like, hey, just so you know, horrible spiritual danger and hell are over here. Come hang out with me. It's cold in Minnesota. It's really warm where I am. Come hang out over here. No, but what Satan's going to do is very much like a lion's going to do, and he's going to keep you distracted long enough till the moment of devouring is, is, is at its opportune moment. Satan wants to keep you and me distracted long enough with our sin and in our sin until it's too late. He doesn't have to fill us in on the details of his plan, but once again, he just has to keep us distracted. And then while we're distracted, the enemy, Satan, will devour us by distracting us by keeping us focused on the wrong things. And so what I want to do as we wrap up this series this morning is I want to give us just four real simple but very effective uh, battle strategies when it comes to having the mindset of a soldier, when it comes to making war on not just sin, but making war on the enemy whose sole purpose is to destroy us. And so I'm going to give you just four very simple but very powerful battle tactics. Tactic number one is this, if you're taking notes, get a weapon. Get a weapon. God has given us such an incredible weapon when it comes to this book, the Bible. Man, this is God's Word. And He has given us such a phenomenal weapon. In the, I mean, again, I'm going to go back to movies because, once again, Jen's not here, and you're not going to tell that I'm using movie examples all the time, right? Um, so what's going to happen is the movie The Untouchables. Phenomenal, phenomenal gangster movie. Elliot Ness, and, 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 and oh, I just love And so there's this scene where this guy shows up to kill Sean Connery's character with a knife, and Sean Connery whips out a gun. Why is it when we are dealing with, in battles and wars over our sin, we bring a knife to a gunfight. When God has given us such an incredible weapon in his word, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, man, uh, um, uh, Paul d defines the clothing of war because God understands war when we're talking about the armor of God. And it says in, in, in Ephesians 6 that he's given us the helmet of salvation, that we have the breastplate of righteousness to guard our heart. We've got the belt of truth. We've got shoes of peace to carry the message of the gospel to those who haven't heard it. We've got the shield of faith to, 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 to connect and deflect arrows of the enemy, and the only offensive weapon that you and I have in this entire list is mentioned in, in Ephesians chapter 6, in the second part of verse 17, and it says this, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I love swords. I love them. Like, I, I've, never, I've never been hunting before in my life. Never. 
lived in Minnesota pretty much the entirety of my entire existence. And there's two things I haven't done. I have never been on a snowmobile, and I have never been hunting. I don't care if you judge me. I'm one of those people that would like to just sit down to coffee and discuss with the animal who's being hunted, why are you putting yourself in this precarious situation where you could be killed? Let's talk about, like, your destructive habits over a delicious cup of coffee. But here's the thing, this is, and this is what I have said. I have said if the only way that I would ever go hunting, I wouldn't want to use a gun, but I would very much like the lion, I would want to lay out in the tree and become part of nature and then attack whatever the thing is. Do it. I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to earn it. And so, and, and I just, I, this fascination with swords and, and because I, lightsabers, I mean, the earliest remembrance of my life is that I could d take a, 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 a paper towel tube and I could make it into a sword. I could break a par my parents' broomstick and I could use it for a sword. I mean, there was just something about the swords that holds so true to my existence and my life growing up. So it's the idea that God would give us a sword, an offensive weapon to bring into battle against the enemy. Man, I love it. I love this description. But here's the thing. If you were to give me a real sword, I have no idea how to use it. I have no idea how to use it. In my mind, I'm just going to swing it in different directions, and if you get connected, that's your fault. You got too close to my sword. But here's the deal. There are people who know how to use these swords properly in battle, not simply to create the most damage, but to create effective damage. And the same thing goes with the Word of God. We have got to understand how to use the weapon which God has given us for the battles that you and I are going to face. See, if we just walk into battle with a weapon not knowing how to use it, we will cause damage. But many of it sometimes could be collateral. Has anyone ever been in a moment where you've either used a Bible verse or had a Bible verse used wrong on you? Just me? Sounds good. Um, that sucks. It really sucks when it's used improperly against you, but it's the worst when you use it wrong against somebody else. It's mismanagement of the weapon. And we have to understand that it takes time to get into this book, to get into the words that God wrote, to understand his heart and his intention. And we have to understand that in the same way it takes time to use a sword properly, it will take time to get in and understand this book properly, the weapon that we have been given to wage war against our enemy. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. As I was thinking about war, never been in war, so I can't say it from personal experience. Watched a lot of movies, but that doesn't count. But I, want, I was thinking about this, like if, if, there, if, if I was in war, just as me, right now, like my Clark's boots, my jeans, my Hawaiian shirt. Because that blends in, right, totally? Um, depends on if the, if the forest I'm battling in is black and white. Um, then I'm, then I'm, I'm, a, I'm a phantom. Um, but I mean, I'm thinking about being in war, and let's say there's an enemy over the hill. We're looking at a hill, and there is an, an insurmountable enemy on the other side of that hill. 
and a, and, a, and a military commander comes and says, Steve, here's the deal. I'm going to give you this tank. So imagine the tank. I'm going to give you this tank. And this tank, this weapon, it can withstand anything that exists on the other side of that hill. It will withstand any, any amount, any amount, size weapon, any ammunition they have. This tank is going to stand up against all of it. Plus, with the offensive power, it will take out and completely obliterate any enemy that stands in your path. Here's, here's oftentimes what I think we do when we look at the Bible. I mean, that tank is really big. And I get in the tank, and I'm like, oh, man, there's a lot of buttons. I don't know what any of them, and that, that manual actually looks really, really long and really, really boring. You know what, I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to figure this out on my own. I don't, thanks for the tank, but I'm not going to use the tank. I'm going to figure out something else. No, 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 no. If that was me, I'd be like, okay, where's the manual? I'm going to read this manual. I'm going to know everything about this weapon because not only can it withstand everything that I'm going to face on the other side, it has the strength and the power and the ability to destroy my enemy. So I'm going to get to know this manual. I'm going to get to know this machine. And when I was doing all sorts of reading, like these people, these people, these soldiers would become so familiar with their weapon. Oftentimes there were stories of people in World War II who would sleep with their gun in their chest, in their jacket, they cared more about the well-being of their weapon than they cared about their life because their weapon was a friend. Their weapon was their companion. Their weapon was something they valued and treasured above their own well-being because they knew that when push came to shove and in the midst of the battle, their weapon was the reliable thing. When we face battles in life, we have to know our weapon. We have to know what's in there because the devil will only spout truth to you. And how on earth can you and I combat, or will, the devil will only spout lies, but how can we combat lies when we don't know the truth? When we're unaware of where it is, when we're unaware of what the Word of God says, when we don't know our weapon, we are walking into battle assuming we can take care of it on our own. We are not using our weapon to the fullest potential. The Word of God, it's more than a book with concepts and ideas and stories. It is an offensive weapon of warfare against our enemy. It takes time to get to know this book. And as we get to know this book, we allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth of these words into our hearts and our lives. We become familiar, and we know how to use it accurately, effectively, and to its fullest potential. And oftentimes when I was in youth ministry and young adult ministry and now leading this church, there's always been this question that I've had to answer from time to time. And, and the question always sounds something like this. Well, how do I know if this is the situation where Satan is trying to distract me? How will I know if this is God or is, if this is Satan? I'm going to throw this little hint up on the screen again. The only way to know the voice of your enemy is to know how it's different from the voice of God. The only way to know the voice of the enemy is to know how it's different from the voice of God. God has a very specific tone. God has a very specific way of saying things. He speaks in a way that just draws the heart in. And he speaks truth. And I love that the scriptures say his gospel is love. 
There's no shame when, when, when it comes to the way that God speaks. There's correction. Don't confuse correction with shame. But how do you know the difference between the voice of God and the voice of your enemy? Well, you gotta, you gotta come to understand what the voice of God sounds like. And that's by spending time with him. So point number one was get a weapon. Battle strategy number two is this. Never fight alone. Never fight alone. Man, the reason we are so obnoxiously passionate about community groups, sisterhood, brotherhood, the conversation, girls' night, the reason we promote those things like crazy and continually say it's important for you to be at these things is because you and I have been created to exist together in community with one another. Man, we were never meant to exist in life alone. Going back to the book of Genesis, man, Adam existed in the, in the, in the perfection of the world. And, and even in the midst of the perfection of the world, God de determined that it's not good for this guy to be by himself. And so what God did is he created a helper. He created a wife. And, and, and that relational component between man and woman exists today, but we look at it a little bit differently. There's still marriage. There's still that sort of thing. But we have been created with the intention of relationship. We have a relational God. Why would we not want to exist in relationship here on earth? It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. It wasn't even good for the Lone Ranger to be alone. The Lone Ranger had Tonto. So the Lone Ranger wasn't so lone. After all, he was just a ranger. That's the, I mean, just saying. But let's think back to the lion real quick, real quick. The fastest way that a lion can take an animal down is when that animal is by itself. Because the lion understands their strength in numbers. Satan understands their, why, that there is strength in numbers. That's why Satan hates the church. And why are we seeing the church under so much attack right now? Because the devil hates it. When we gather in Jesus' name, the scriptures say, where one or two are gathered in his name, there I am also. And so where the presence of God is, man, Satan doesn't want to be anywhere around there because he understands that where that presence is, he is powerless in the midst of that. So what is Satan going to do? He's going to try and break up the unity of the local church. He's going to try and break up, create doubt in, the, in, in, in who God is and what scriptures, what the, I mean, all these minuscule things that we argue about and have deep theolo theological discussions about. This is Satan playing us for suckers. Here's the deal. I don't care if you tithe. I care about your relationship with Jesus. But people will not attend church because of the topic of tithing and miss out on everything that God has for them and the truth that he desires to speak. So here's the deal. If that's keeping you from experiencing, stop giving, please. I don't care if you give another fling and flying and scent. I want you to experience who God is really in your life. Get a part of a freaking community group and don't do life alone. There is strength in numbers. There is power in numbers. Because my friends can see things that I can't. And they can warn me. And they can speak into my life in ways that I'm unaware of. That's why our brotherhood Bible study is so important. That's why sisterhood is so important. That's why girls' night is so important. And once these boys get of age, boys' night is going to be awesome.
because we're going to be building relationships with people who we won't simply exist with, but we will wage war with. And you have to know your enemy, but you have to know the people you're fighting with. So don't do life alone. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 says this. Don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. Let me ask you a question. Who are your advisors? Who are the voices speaking into your life? Sometimes the voices that we trust the most can be the voices the enemy is using to distract you. And I've had relationships that I thought, with people who I thought had my best intentions in mind. But what I began to hear from them is that they began to help me make excuses or downplay the severity of sin in my life. But see, everybody deals with that. Everybody goes through that from time to time. You're not, it's, it's, not, it's not weird. It's totally, it's totally normal. You know what? It's an exploratory phase you're in right now. It's not that. Here's the deal. If there are voices in your life downplaying the severity of sin and the severity of the distance between you and God, smack them in the mouth and find some advisors who will speak truth and who will speak God's word into your life. Break apart from that community and find a community that will speak God's truth into your words. Join a community group for crying out loud. It is so important to never do life alone. Get connected. But I understand that there are moments when we can't be connected all the time. So what happens if you find yourself alone? Man, there have been many times where I've made those phone calls and life is just busy. I mean, it's not like everybody's just sitting around waiting for me to call when I need help, right? Most of us have jobs or children or Facebook account, I don't know, whatever it is. But it's like, we've, we've all got stuff, right? So what happens in moments when you find yourself, by, find yourself by yourself? Battle tactic number three, sometimes retreat is the best option. Sometimes retreat is the best option when Jen and I were really, really, really close to being married. We owned a house in Northfield. It was literally my house, not living in it. Uh, Jen was living there, and it, I was, I mean, it was, just totally honest, it was really, really hard to think of excuses to not sleep together. It was really hard when you could see the finish line of that wedding date. It was really hard to keep excuses going to remain pure. And here's the deal. I was in full-time ministry. My job was to be a professional Christian. Like, like that was, I got paid to write sermons and read the Bible and have, I mean, I got paid to be a follower of Jesus, and I was dealing so hard with the, sorry, wrong word. I was dealing, it was difficult. Thank you. That's the most inappropriate joke I have ever said, probably, or will ever say. We're just going to take it as it is. We're going to leave it on the podcast, because that's just how we do. Anyway, it was getting very, very difficult. Oh, man, I'm sweating more than I was before. That was, that was awful. Um, man. Whoo! All right. Focus. <laughs> All right. 
very difficult to finish this message. Um, it, was, it was getting very difficult to find reasons to stay pure. And in those moments when there were people that I could reach out to, but the reality is life just happens and they couldn't reach back the way that I was needing them to reach back. There were moments many times before I got married where I would lock the keys to my house and my car in my house and I would walk to Target so that I would have no way of getting to Northwood. So then I would go to Target and I would walk around and I would eventually buy a scented candle and an icy. It's every white person's dream. And, 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 I, would just, and I would just hang out at Target I would just, and then I would go, and I would literally just sit on the front step until my roommate Sean would come home, and then Sean and I would have a discussion. Sean and I would have a conversation. We would pray with each other, but in those moments when I didn't have the strength to fight, I fled. See, we have to get over this idea that fleeing the scene of a battle is cowardice. It's not cowardice, it's strategy. If you study military history, many battles and many, many engagements have been won in the process of retreating because what happens when you retreat, you're able to regroup, re-strategize, re-strengthen, run away today to fight better tomorrow and deal with the situations that you're dealing with. And so what I would do is I would flee. I would get the crap out of there. I would lock myself out of my house. That's how... Like winter, spring, raining, snowing, I would, I would lock myself out of my house because running away would be better than fighting a battle I didn't have the strength to fight in the first place. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says this. It says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he's this says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners because this is not our home. This is not our destination. We are temporary residents and foreigners of this planet Earth. We are citizens of heaven because of Jesus. And as citizens of heaven, we are to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Man, here's the deal. When you do not have the strength to fight, run. Flee. Get the crap out of there. No one's going to look down at you. It's like it, when in that moment of vulnerability, here's again, that exists within the community group setting. That's so important when there's vulnerability. I'm dealing with this. Guess what? No one's going to look down on you. And if they do, you let me know and I'll have a discussion. But no one's going to look down on you. What they'll do, because this is this type of church, they're going to gather around you. They're going to pray for you. They're going to speak truth into your circumstance. They're going to they're say, hey, we don't have each other's phone number right here. Here's my phone number. If you ever need to talk, call me. If you ever need to just go out and grab a bite to eat, because they, I mean, just let me, and I'll pay for it. And I'm saying that honestly. If there are moments where you cannot flight, 
fights and you have nowhere to flee to, call me, text me, love Buffalo Wild Wings, I love coffee, I will do whatever it takes to see you, to see you succeed, to see you victorious. But if you're a lady, call my wife, because that's just a no, that's just a no bueno situation. Retreat today, regroup, re-strengthen, re-strategize, and fight again tomorrow. Quit deceiving yourself to thinking that you are in control of your sin. Sometimes there's moments in life, though, I don't want to, I don't want to shy away from this, where it feels like, okay, I've got my weapon. I've got my community group. I've got those relationships that I can be real with and vulnerable in. I've, I've retreated as much as I can retreat, and sometimes just, just the reality of life and the reality of moments, sometimes, we, sometimes it feels as though surrender to the sin is just the easiest option. And when it feels most beneficial to surrender, to give in, I want to give you battle tactic number four, and that is this. When all else fails, call for help. Psalm chapter 91, starting in verse 14, says this. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. What an incredible promise. When we call on God, He actually hears us. And He answers us. He's not distant or far off, but He is a God who is close to you and to me. When we call, and I think of these moments again as I, even in my brain, right now as I'm speaking, I'm like, but when you call out for help, it's showing a sign of weakness. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. It's calling out your weakness and calling to a name who is strong. When we call on the name of Jesus, we are calling on a name that has power behind it. We are calling on a name that has strength behind it. We are calling on a name that when we utter the name of Jesus, the foundations of hell shake and the devil gets scared out of his mind because there is power in that name. There is something about that name that brings peace to troubled circumstances and authority to situations where we feel like we don't have authority in. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 10, says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you are hurting today, if you are struggling today, if you find yourself desperate today in a way that you've never been desperate before, man, call out to the one who not only hears you, but will answer you, heal you, revive you, and restore you. When it comes to making war, we have to understand that we engage and we wage war in Christ from a place of victory. See, through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, 
In Jesus' name, the power of sin has been broken and can be broken in your life. Will life be easy? Not always. Will you never go through a difficult season again because you raised your hand or said a prayer? No, you will go through difficult seasons. But here's the truth today. When you put into practice these battle tactics, you don't have to simply hope that they will work and be effective. You can have confidence and know that the war has been fought and won through Christ, that in Christ you and I have the victory because Christ is our victory. We experience temporary battles here, but the war has been won. So when we engage in battle, we engage in the confidence because of who Christ is from a place of victory. Not wondering, will we be victorious? But in Christ, we can declare that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your struggle is, no matter what your season is, you can walk into battle knowing that the battle may be hard, but the war has been won in Jesus' name. So make war on the things that keep you from living the life that God has created you to live. Make war on the sin that so easily entangles you. Make war on the power that your past has over your life because maybe you haven't given your past over to Christ yet. Make war with the weapon of confession. And know that when we confess, we're not creating a greater gap between us and God, but our confession builds the bridge back to right relationship with Him. And when you wage war, men, use these battle tactics, not hoping that they will work, but in confidence, knowing that Christ has already won. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would once again reveal your strength and power. God, I love what that your word says, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. I love that Romans says that we are not simply overcomers, but we are more than overcomers. In Christ, we punch overcoming in the face because we're more than. And God, I thank you that when we engage in battle, we can make war in confidence knowing, Jesus, you have won. So that no matter what comes our way, in Christ we are victorious. God, help us understand that. Help us put these things into practice. Help uh, this series not be something that simply is forgotten over the confines of a year, over the routine of life. Let this series not simply be something that was good then, but maybe isn't dealing with the situation. Father, as we begin this year, 2018, may we position ourselves in an offensive position, knowing that whatever comes our way, through Christ, we have the strength, the opportunity, and the ability to wage war. You have given us the armor. You have given us the weapon. You have given us the battle plan. Help us fight with the tenacity that we've never known before. Thank you, Jesus, so much for your love for us. It's in your name I pray.
Amen. Normally we have a discussion question, but I went long. Surprise. So let's just go to our upcoming events real quick. Uh, a few things in the not-too-distant future. Uh, for all of our young adults, for the conversation, we, uh, reg- I'm really sorry about that. Regrettably, we have to postpone that till February. My whole house is sick right now. Um, and so we've been in and out of emergency rooms. So, that, so that's just for me, so I apologize. But this is what I would say. Still go out together. Like, still go get lunch. Go get some coffee. Just because the formality of the conversation isn't existing, still go have a conversation. I don't even care what you talk about. Um, so, uh, but just know that's going to be postponed till February 11th. Coming up next for all of our, I believe, uh, next month, next week, we are kicking off a brand new series called Love Does. Um, idea based off of the book by Bob Goff. Phenomenal book. If you haven't read it yet, it is such a, a easy powerful read, but we're just going to be looking through the month of February at the topic of love, at what is love, what does it mean for you and me as followers of Christ, but more importantly, what does it mean for a world out there uh, to to live and know the love of Christ, not what does it benefit us in here, but what does it benefit the world out there, so man, don't miss that series, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Coming up this Saturday, February 3rd, 7.30 a.m., Brotherhood Bible Study at Sovereign Grounds, man, we had such a great time a few weeks ago. So excited about this one. So if you haven't been yet, we're going to be in the book of James starting in verse 8. But man, I just want to invite all the guys here uh, to Sovereign Grounds Coffee House at 730. For all the ladies, Sisterhood is going to be happening on Wednesday, February 7th at my house. Mark your calendars. It was so much fun to hear the conversation happening in my living room. Uh, I was very afraid to go downstairs because I didn't want to disrupt the awesome that was happening. And so uh, it's for all the ladies, um, conversation uh, February 7th at 7 p.m. at our house. Community groups are coming up for the month of February. We are going to be putting out on the website, on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. The list of those who are hosting and leading groups. Man, find a group. Get connected. Uh, they are so, so important. I will be unapologetically obnoxious about that. And so make sure you get connected in the community group. It could save your life. Next one. Um, that's it. Hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your day. We will see you back here next Sunday for the beginning of our series, Love Does. But before that, we'll see all the guys at Sovereign Grounds Coffee House for our Brotherhood Bible Study at 7.30 a.m. Be a man. Get up early. Drink some coffee. We'll see you there. Have a wonderful rest of your day.